You know, maybe for the, for the high school kids, they might get a little bored of this, but, you know, I was thinking back and looking at this story, and I just kind of was reminded as I was reading and preparing for this message, I was reminded of just one of my first crushes way, uh, way back when. Um, this was elementary school. There was this one girl that I always used to see um, at the school, and mainly at recess I would see her. Uh, we never had a class together, you know, back in elementary school, usually in that one classroom. And so just from afar, and, and I really felt like a really nerdy kid, and so there's no way I was going to talk to her or even tell her that I liked her. You know, I mean, what, in fourth and fifth grade, how old are you? Like nine or something, you know. But then middle school came, and things began to change a little bit, you know. And, and you know, we're, we were going from class to class. And finally, with this gal, I had a couple classes with her, and and I'm just like, man, I'm going to talk to this girl. You know, I'm just going to like profess my love for her or something. You know, I'm thinking this as a sixth grader. I'm ready to do this. And so the opportunity came one night for one of our middle school dances. And, and in those days, especially in South San Antonio, you know, you've had like a lot of Spanish music they would play at the dances and country music and stuff. And so I was waiting for like just the right song because I wanted to be able to hold this gal to dance, you know, with her and stuff, you know. And so I finally like worked up the nerve to go and ask this girl to dance. And, and she was a sweet girl. So she said yes. And, and so then we're dancing there. And then like, kind of like not even halfway through the dance, almost the beginning of the song. She's like, hey, hold on a second. I'll be right back. And I was like, okay. And so she left and never came back. <laughs> Man, I was just like, my crush crushed me, <laughs> you know? And that would be the beginning of a lot of like crushed hearts because I just was not a ladies man or anything like that at all, okay? Not at all. <laughs> um, but finally, you know, fast forward to 1999, I would say now this, by this time, the year 2000, I'm going to Bible college and so forth. And by then, I, I obviously, I met Anna and we're friends and hanging out, doing stuff together, eating lunch together, just all a group of us and whatnot. And I really think much of her because I, I said a lot of dumb things to her because we were just friends. And I never looked at her that way as someone I would like or had interest in. Um, and then, you know, we, you know, we did first semester and came back over Christmas break. And, and as I got to the Bible college, I got there kind of early. Um, I got voluntold to start picking up kids at the airport. And so, you know, they gave me the big, you know, CCBC uh, van or whatever. It was the big old giant truck with a bunch of seats. And so I just began going back to Ontario, back and forth, Ontario, California, to picking up kids at the airport. And then there's one, one of my stops. I show up and I'm loading all these kids. And then I hear my name, Joe, like just real loud. It wasn't Anna because she wouldn't do that. But it was her friend, Ty, who was very loud and very, we have personalities that clash. She came over and was like, hey, how's it going? I was like, good. And I was talking with her and I'm like, you're going to leave. And then I look past her and, and I, I think I almost said like, hey, where's Anna? Just in time to see her actually walking out of the, the, the electric doors coming out, you know, and she was walking and just before she had seven kids, she had super, super curly hair, just like bouncy, curly hair. And I don't know, we had kids and then the curls went away or something. But, you know, she had this bouncy and I just remember her walking and the kind of the wind blowing, her hair bouncing and all this kind of thing. And I remember thinking like, there's Anna. And then I'm like looking at my rear mirror and I'm like, oh, I don't have room. And then, okay, and then I left, you know, and I was like, there was just something that just went off, you know. And then Anna just responded to all my wooing, even, even, after, even after all the craziness, even after proposing to her twice, she still responded to my wooing. And as I think about that, I mean, isn't that kind of like how it should be, even like with broken hearts, right? You want to know that 
you know, you want to be with someone that when you woo them, if you will, and you pursue them, that, that there's no shadow of doubt, right? They're responding with affection and attention, right? That they are, they are sold out. They're into your, you know, moves, if you will. <laughs> That's kind of a weird way to say it, but, you know, they're responding. But there's obviously times when people don't respond. And as I was thinking about that, I, I really thought about just how, how the Lord is, is obviously those relationships, mine included, they're all broken, and misguided in, in the contrast and in light of, right, who Jesus is. In, the light, in light of a God who pursues us. And definitely God goes through that. There's times where God pursues people. And then just like, you know, this girl, you know, from, when in, from middle school, they just want nothing to do with God. They reject, they run, they, they hide, they just leave. And then there are times when there's people that are just ready, and it's the right moment where God pursues, and they just respond in relationship. And I love that as I think about this story, as I think about this beautiful love story that we find here in Genesis 24, um, it's, it is an awesome love story, no doubt, but, but this love story also reveals something so much greater than just this cool love story. It actually reveals the love of God for his people and how God pursues humanity by the Spirit of God so that they might then come to the Son in relationship. And so we'll we'll look at that as well, but let's pick up on the story. Now, this is, this is a huge chunk. There's, we're picking up in verse 29, and we're going for it, and, you know, all the way to verse 67, and and these is, this is one of those stories where you just have to read it. You have to read it so that this picture is painted, and and hopefully you'll catch, even as you, and, and even as we read through this together, and I'll stop a few times along the way because I really want to emphasize the greater picture here towards the end of the story. As we're reading this, begin to just ask the Lord, even as you're sitting there, to, to just show you these similarities of like God, the Father, and, and the Son, the promised Son, and the servant who I believe you know, is a great type of the Holy Spirit. And then even Rebecca, who, who represents the, the bride of Christ here. So let's read together, picking up in verse 29 right from when we left off last week, right? It says in verse 29, now Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban, and Laban ran out to the man by the well. So it came to pass when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrist, and when he heard the words of his sister Rebekah saying, thus the man spoke to me, that he went to the man, and there he stood by the camels at the well and said, come in. Oh, blessed of the Lord, why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. Now, normally this is not kind of a big deal because that's just part of, par for the course, right? In that culture, they are a culture of hospitality. Like they want to invite you in. They want to love on you, right? Here, here's my home, you know, like kind of like, you know, mi casa, su casa, that kind of thing, right? Like, like, come on in. But there's another part and then we kind of, we have to kind of, underline Laban just for a second, right? Because he will come back into the story later on um, when he interacts with the son of Isaac, Jacob. And we find that this guy Laban, who is just introduced here, this one who at this moment is representing the family hospitality, right? We also find that he's kind of like the proverbial modern day salesman, right? The, the, the used car salesman, if you will. We'll, we'll find <laughs> later, man. It's just so, I, every time I think of this, I think of this guy. We were in 
in uh, Mexico years and years ago. We're doing some missions trips, and we went into this, this market where they were just selling, selling. And this guy, man, this guy, he was a seller. I mean, man, he had a... It, I've never seen a, a Mexican like rockabilly guy. That's literally what he looked. He was from Mexico, but he was dressed like rockabilly. He had a pompadour like this, sticking up. He had a black turtleneck, I kid you not. And he had a blue and black, like, uh, plaid, like, I guess flannel, but he was unbuttoned to here. And he had, remember the old school 80s, like, bleach pants? Like, just super tight black beach. And he saw, he's like, hey, you guys, come on over here. And he was like, like, I was like, whoa. Like, he was ready to sell to all these young kids who are eager to spend their money, you know, too. Uh, and that's, I kind of think of Laban in that way, right? He's ready, and we're going we're gonna to visit him later. But for now, I think he sees the gold, the nose ring of Rebecca, and he's like, hey, come on in. We've got everything set up for you. But look what happens next, verse 32. So the man comes to the house and he unloaded the camels and he provided straw and feed for the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Food was set before him to eat, but he said, look, I will not eat until I have told about my errand. And he said, speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly and has become great. And he has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold, male and female servants, and camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him he has given all that he has. Now my master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my family and take a wife for my son." And I said to my master, well, perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, the Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you and prosper your way. And you shall take a wife for my son, from my family and from my father's house. You will be clear from this oath when you arrive among my family. For if they will not give her to you, then you will be released from my oath. And this day I came to the well and said, O Lord, God of my master, Abraham, if you will now prosper in, in uh, the way in which I go, behold, I stand by the well of water, and it shall come to pass that when the virgin comes out to draw water, and I say to her, please give me a little water from your pitcher to drink. And she says to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. But before I had finished speaking in my heart, there was Rebecca coming out with her pitcher on her shoulder, and she went down to the well and drew water. And I said to her, please let me drink. And she drank, and I'm sorry, and she made haste and let her pitcher down from her shoulder and said, drink, and I will give your camels a drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels a drink also. Then I asked her and said, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the nose ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrist. And I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham, who had led me in the way of truth to take the daughter of my master's brother for his son. You know, I, I just love too, just, you know, a little side thing that the servant does not hide the fact 
that as soon as he knew, right, the Lord was answering his prayer, man, the servant just began to worship God, right? It's just, he just began to worship. It's just, I mean, there's just like this attention that's put on God this whole way through. You know, when he's saying that the angel of the Lord led him on the way, it's, it's, like, it's like the servant is like right in step as God is leading him through this angel, and then God at the same time, I'm sorry, and then the servant at the same time just acknowledging and worshiping God in that way. Now, in verse 49, it goes on, it says, Now, if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may return, uh, turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, right, that's Rebecca's dad now, Bethuel's in the picture. The thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you either bad or good. Here is Rebecca before you. Take her and go and let her be your master's son's wife, as the Lord has spoken and it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard their words that he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. Then the servant brought out jewelry of silver, jewelry of gold and clothing and gave them to Rebekah. And he also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. And so this is like the point, right? The point of decision. Like, is God truly going to answer my prayer? And sure enough, they're like, man, what can we do, right? Like, it's obviously, it's obvious that God is in this, that God is moving you know, in this way. And so he responds with, once again, a display of worship. You know, this is, this is like now the third time that's mentioned in the scriptures that he worshiped, but like the second time where he actually gets down and just worships the Lord. And I love how in that too, you can see just how prayer and worship go to, together of just meeting with the Lord, hearing from the Lord, speaking to the Lord, and then responding um, in worship. They, they go together. I, mean, I think it's important for us to recognize that but then secondly, too, you have like Laban, who's just like, you know, like, hey, you know, this is from the Lord. And so, so the servant's response is like he blesses them, gives them more jewelry, more gold. Now, and one aspect, this is kind of cool because this would be any like mom or dad's like relief, right? Like you're going to take my daughter, then I hope you can provide. I hope you have the funds to do that, to take care of. <laughs> I remember... It was funny. I, I think I, this is one of those areas where I kind of like somewhat lied to my father-in-law um, because I was in Bible college, so I didn't really have much money at all. But he was like, so you're going to take my daughter, huh? And I'm like, yeah, like I really want to marry her. Well, what's your budget look like? <laughs> I don't have any money. Like, like in my head, like, I was like, all right. So I wrote out a budget. Like if I had money, like I'm thinking, about, if I had money, this is my budget. So I rolled it all out. Like, oh yeah, groceries and a little money for clothes. And I mean, I've, 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 you know, watched, was it, remember Larry Briquette back in the day? I'm thinking of like Larry Briquette, like, okay, do, this is what I would do. <laughs> like, you know, but I have no money, you know? And so that at least gave him relief. <laughs> I was honest. I mean, like, I'm in Bible college. I'm not working full-time yet, but I definitely want to take your daughter with me to Texas, <laughs> you know? So this guy, like, rest assured, this guy, he puts them at rest, but gives them jewelry. He gives them, it, it's just a symbol of like, hey, I are my family. My master can take care of your daughter. And then it was also a way of just paying the dowry, right? It was, it was a way to, to pay the dowry here. And so he's taking care of business there. Right? And so then, we see this in verse 54, and then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and stayed all night. Then they arose in the morning, and he said, send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, let the young woman stay with us a few days, at least 10, and then after that she may go. And he said to them, do not hinder me. Since the Lord has prospered my way, send me away that I may go to my master." 
Man, it's such a, such a good response from, you know, this servant. I mean, it's obvious, right, that, 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 that God was in this, and so that God was moving in this direction, and so his, his mindset, him moving forward, is like there should be no delay in obeying the will of God. Right? It was obviously that God was in it, that God had prepared the way, and God had answered the specific prayers of this servant. So then why delay the obedience? Then, then, then why hang on? And I, I believe, honestly, it is truly a tactic of the enemy to downplay being obedient to the Lord like right away. Right? When, when we know that God has given us, and that's what I love about God's word and how God's word is alive and active, right? When God speaks to you and the way that God speaks to you, obviously through his word, when he gives you that direction and he tells you where to go, like go. Don't delay because what happens is, don't we, when we begin to delay, we start sometimes to even like convince ourselves out of it. Right, we're, we're just, we start thinking about all the costs and all the, you know, this, well, what about that? I mean, obviously there's some wisdom in, in laying out the cost, but, but like go. Because the enemy wants to downplay what God wants to do. And oftentimes that's where, you know, it's that lie of the enemy. It's like, well, you know, tomorrow, I, I can put it off tomorrow. I can, I need to take care of this. It's like the young man who says, look, Lord, I, I mean, I will follow you wherever you go. Like wherever you go. And what did he tell Jesus? He's all, okay, well then let's go. He's all, well, well first, let me go bury my father. And it wasn't like he was being like a good, like, oh, it was like my dad's still got a couple more years, two, three, four, maybe 10. As soon as we're all good, then I'll come follow you. And the idea is like, no, go now. Follow the Lord now. I think one even greater example we find in Matthew chapter, I think it's chapter 16, where Jesus begins to reveal to the apostles, like this is, it's time for me to go to Jerusalem. It's time for me to suffer. It's time for me to die. Like, let's go. And, and there's no more hiding what Jesus was meant to do. And then Peter, I, this is crazy. And this is always blows me away. Peter comes to Jesus. This is Matthew 16, 22, And he says this. Then Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. But then he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, for you do not have the things of God, right? Or, or no, this is, I don't want to miss this up. That's my paraphrase. Let me, let me give it to you what the word says. Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. It's interesting. Like this is the plan of God to go forward. And Peter's like, no, no, let's, let's do this thing. You know, and you, you, God, you're not, you're not going to do this. And it was like the enemy. It's almost like as Jesus is drawing to the fact that that's like demonic, right? This, this pushing back of what God wants to do. And maybe for some this morning, there, there is that, there is where, where God is stirring your heart and you know exactly what you're supposed to do, uh, but you're delaying it. Don't delay it. Maybe it's just a call. Be obedient to the Lord. I remember years ago, January 2007, right, uh, um, is when we came out here to speak to the church for the first time. We came out, and it was the middle of a, a I think it was a semi-snowstorm, if you will, and, and just snow everywhere. And we came, and we met with the elders, and it was, it was pretty clear, like, man, God is doing this. God's going to move us from, from Texas to the island to, 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 to you know, to, to be the pastor here of this church. And and I mean, just super excited, you know, got to hang out with all the elders at their house. And I remember playing uh, snowball fights with their kids. I mean, I think it was, like, yeah, it was like 31 at the time. And I was throwing snowballs with these kids I didn't even know. And we we're just having a lot of fun. And, and it was just obvious that the Lord was doing this thing and, and being 
being able to meet the church and speak. And, and so we went back to Texas, and I was just, you know, at that time I was working um, at the church. We had a Christian academy. I was teaching U.S. history and 7th and 8th grade Bible, you know. And so I go to my pastor. I'm like, man, I think the Lord is calling us out there to the islands for sure. There's no doubt. Like, the Lord is doing that. And so maybe in May, as soon as school's over, then we'll go, you know. And he was like, no, 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 no. He's like, you cannot wait till May. You know, because he says, you found this out way back in August, like in the middle of summer that they were looking for a pastor. And now you want to wait all the way? He goes, no. Like, if you know that this is the Lord, then go. Like, why wait? And so that was like mid-January. In a couple weeks, here we are, man, beginning of February, first week in February, me, Anna, three little kids, and one on the way um, moved across from, from San Antonio to Friday Harbor, man, to just come and do what the Lord has called us to do. And I, and I just see that principle and that thing in all of us, that when God says to go, go. When God says to do it, why wait? Why just give opportunity for the enemy to come in and confuse and to downplay? Or even in some cases, you know, there's some, I, I believe, maybe even in this room where years ago God said go and we didn't and you've missed out on all that God has had for you. And I think it's never too late it, it might look different now, but it's never too late to be obedient to the Lord. And, and I just see this maybe just a word for someone here this morning or for us, but I love that, he, you know, the servant was like, no way, we're going. Don't hinder me. Don't hinder me. And so, you know, maybe, maybe Laban, you know, now knowing who Laban is, maybe it's like, hey, we'll keep him here. We get more treasures. I don't know what he was thinking. But look at verse 57. It says, so they said, well, we will call the young woman and we'll ask her personally. So then they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. I mean, that's pretty intense. Like, here is like this, I mean, here's this guy out of nowhere, you know, coming to take this woman away across to who knows where, and her heart is just ready, like, I am ready to follow the Lord. Right? They all together, this is obvious, this is from the Lord, and she was just ready to go. To go be with her new family. I love that. She was ready to go. Look at verse 59. And so they went, they sent Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. They sent him away. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, almost even prophetically, you know, our sister, may you become the mother of thousands of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. Then Rebekah and her maids arose, and they rode on the camels and followed the man. And so the servant took Rebekah and departed. Now Isaac came from the way of Beer, Lahoroi, for he dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening, and he lifted his eyes and looked, and out and there the camels were coming. Then Rebekah lifted her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel, for she had said to the servant, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? And so the servant said, It is my master. So she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into her, his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. And so Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So there you have it. You have this beautiful love story of these two people that become one flesh. 
Now on the surface, it definitely is, right? It is a beautiful love story. I mean, you just see the display of the providence and the sovereignty of God, right? And the servant under the guidance of the angel seeking out a bride for his master's son. And you know, and it's just neat how the Lord works this all out. There's no doubt that we see faith and trust working through this faithful, obedient servant, right? Ready to go and to pray specifically and how, how God answered those prayers and how God was moving all these moving parts. And, and even I just think of like, you know, Isaac going out to meditate. The wording there uh, is more of, you could almost say that he was praying, but it's more that he was trying to set his mind right. It's almost like you get the impression that maybe, and especially because of the last few verses, that, that after Sarah, I mean, after Rebecca came into his tent, he was comforted after the death of his mother. It's almost as, as though maybe even like uh, Isaac was just struggling and hurting at the loss of his mom. And so maybe this was just a regular pattern for him to go out and he's just, you know, seeking the Lord, maybe just meditating on these things. And all of a sudden he looks up and then sees this beautiful woman, right, just coming out over the horizon. I mean, just talk about like, oh, it's like the climax. It, it almost makes me remind, remind like, uh, of, of um, oh, this is going to be, I was going to say Stand and Deliver, but that's, no, that's a hood movie. That's not it. Um, oh, Kira Knightley, the new Pride and Prejudice, the final, the climactic end of the new Pride and Prejudice that came out years ago. It was semi-newish. There's that scene where they're coming across the field together in the dew of the morning, and it's like this. Some guys are like, I don't know. Okay, there's a girl and a guy coming together, okay, and it's in, in the beautiful weather. <laughs> For the guy, girls, maybe you imagine that. But I just see this, like, beautiful, you know, thing coming together. Uh, just this gorgeous love story. And I think even in this process, there's almost two. Like, we could even make a case, an argument for, for kicking out dating altogether. Like, seriously, you know what? Awesome. Like, kids, if you have godly parents, which I think a lot of you do over there, just trust your parents, right, to find you a spouse. I mean, to go out, especially if there's two families that really like friends, and they're just like, hey, we want to be friends for the long haul. Like, hey, let's just get these families together. Let's make some deals here. You know, we'll trade briskets or whatever. Just, you know, Trump. <laughs> you know, whatever the case may be, you know, and just have this thing going on. And it's awesome, you know? I mean, just, I wouldn't argue with that. That'd be perfect, you know? I mean, there's, there's all these things that we can go. I'm obviously joking, you know, you know but, but Greg did say last week, you did bring us that quote, 4% of arranged marriages. Oh, no, the, the divorce rate was 4% for arranged marriages. So talk with Greg afterwards, get those stats, parents, and let's, like, figure this thing out. So, you know, because I want my kids married for the long haul, you know, if they do that. <laughs> so there's obviously no doubt that in this, or this there's this match made in heaven. And, and, I, and as I said, I love how the groom's out there, and there's just maybe there's just a sense of, of healing maybe for Isaac on that surface, right? Of just, it says that he was comforted, you know, from his mother's death by, by, by Rebecca coming in, and it's awesome. Definitely a love story. But it's so much more than just a love story between two people who have never met, right? It's a love story about a God who desires to come into relationship with a bride who wasn't even considering matrimony, right? She was just doing her thing, going out probably as though she, and it wasn't even that she came with a group of gals, which normally the practice was all the ladies would come together and they'd go out and they would help each other. She was just on her own, right? It, it, it says that she was beautiful and she just was this, this woman of character, right? Just not even looking. And then all of a sudden she gets, you know, she, she gets caught up in this awesome thing where God has sent this man, right? But it, as I said, it's so much more. 
It's truly a picture of the greatest love story ever told. It's a picture of God pursuing you and me to bring you into relationship with His Son, even when we weren't looking. And as I was thinking about this picture and about this story, you know, for a lot of us, it was, for me, it was just like refreshing. Because right now, there just seems like there's so, so much like turmoil, right, in our community, maybe even our churches, in our state, in our country. And, and what I would say, there's like all these distractions, right, of just like we, we get a little agitated. When right in the middle of all this, it's as though God is just like bringing us back to the simplicity that's in Christ, of being in relationship with a God who pursued us even when we weren't looking, even when we were out running from him. Over and over, I, I, even of recently, I've just been getting these thoughts and just, you know, revi- recently I shared my testimony with the kids and, and all that. And, you know, after the fact, I kind of felt like, ah, I don't even know if I want to revisit that anymore, my testimony, or, or, or that testimony of like, this is who I was before Christ and this is who I am now because it's just, I'm just not even that person anymore. And, and I think of, of God, though, what, what really highlights me and makes me excited is really thinking about not my testimony, but the testimony of God in pursuing me and pursuing you and pursuing us pursuing us even when we were running from God, even when we were in rebellion against God. In fact, Paul says it best in Ephesians chapter 2, right? In verse 4, he says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You think about this for a second. We who are followers of Jesus are in relationship with God. Think about, count now, how many times you have experienced what what Paul has just talked about, the riches of his grace being poured out in your life. Maybe for some of us, we can't even count it on five, uh, like on one hand. Maybe for some of us, it's more. But I think if, if I look at this verse and I put it in the perspective of who I am as a human being here on planet Earth and as a follower of Jesus, I have not tapped into that yet. I have not even scratched the surface of that And yet the conviction, at least for me, was like, Lord, I am so distracted by the things of this world and all the these things and and even how sometimes FOMO can just like just like plague us, right? That fear of missing all these things when we have a God who said, But yeah, but even when you were running from me, I was pursuing you to show you, right, the exceeding riches of my son. I want to show and demonstrate how much I love you. And then all of a sudden, it just kind of puts it in perspective, at least for me, of like, Lord, I am busy with all these other things and only one thing is needed, to pursue and know Jesus, the one who pursued me, who is pursuing me, even now, even now. 
I mean, let's look at this big picture for a second. Look at Isaac, right? Isaac is a son of the promise. He is a, a type of Christ, right? I mean, after all, he is the one who was predicted, right, by God to uh, Abraham and Sarah, right, that he would be born. His birth was announced, and his birth happened miraculously, right, by, two el- by this elderly couple. His birth was miraculous, and he, Isaac, right, we, we, we hear, and even in the scriptures, we see when he was born, and then we, we fast forward a little bit, and then we see this other beautiful picture that, that Pastor Greg taught on where Isaac was taken up to the mount on Calvary and was about to be sacrificed, and then God provided himself a sacrifice on the very same mount that, you know, that thousands of years later, that the other son of the promise, who was also miraculously announced, who was also miraculously born, who went up, he for sure went up on that mountain and suffered on that mountain and is now sitting at the right hand of the Father awaiting his bride to come. Just like Isaac was waiting on the edge, waiting for his bride to come. That's Isaac, a type of Jesus. And then we have Abraham, who is called the father of the nation of Israel and is a type of the father, and that he sent his servant to come find a bride for his son. He sends out his servant to come find a bride. See, that's you or me. That's you and me. Right? Jesus said, it's good that I go away, because if I go away, then the helper will come. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and he will convict the world of righteousness right he will convict the world to bring them to woo them into relationship with himself see all these things that we think about that might have been coincidence or we 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 want to chalk it up to that i believe now and as i hindsight is 2020 you realize it was the spirit of god revealing a need for a rescuer And here we have the same beautiful picture as this servant is sent out as well on mission from the Father into the world as a helper to search for a bride for the Son, not by force, but by wooing the bride so that she might come willingly. Just as the Holy Spirit was sent into the world to convict the world, as I said earlier, right, so that we might then respond and inherit every single blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that we might then submit to him as the groom, the savior of the bride. And then, oh, look at this last one, the Rebecca. Rebecca is the bride. And did you pick up on what her responsibility was as the bride? Man, her job was simply to believe the servant by faith and respond to his bid to come, to come to the Son. Just like us, the bride of Christ. God calls his church his bride. And our job is to simply believe in the one whom God has sent. The one whom God has sent into the world to pay himself that own, his own diary on our behalf. right? To, 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 but by through the death and the resurrection. So that we can be one with the Father and with the Son and with the Holy Spirit. And then the question then would be for us this morning is, do you believe this? See, Jesus is pursuing you by the Holy Spirit. And his role is to bring you into relationship with the Father through the Son. And so this morning, I think my job as your pastor was simply to remind you 
of the beauty that's in a relationship with Jesus. And maybe to, to call you back from distraction. Because I think the world right now has so occupied us and is pulling us and, 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 and maybe calling us to, to take up all these causes and all these things that in some cases seem like virtuous. Some of these things seem like, yeah, that's a worthy thing. That's a worthy, worthy cause. But guys, just like that young gal, right, back in the day, elementary crush who just crushed me in middle school, man, those relationships will come and go. Oh, but yeah, but look at your wife. Yeah, but you know, even my, my relationship with my wife is temporary. It will come and it will go in the light of eternity. To be in relationship with Jesus, it begins here now, right now, planet Earth. And it's the only relationship that begins this side of heaven that will continue on into eternity. And maybe, maybe for some this morning, it is a call to come back to that. I mean, I, I, I thought of this morning as I was praying for us as the church, uh, uh, you know, thinking of Revelation, I believe it's the, the church of Ephesus, right? The, the, the loveless church who had a, just a beautiful beginning. A beautiful beginning. But at the end of the day, right, it is found that they had left their first love. They left their first love. And so this morning, it's a call to you, the church, to come back to your first love. To come back to the Jesus who saved you, right? What did he say? Repent and do the first works and believe. Right? That's what Jesus said. What is the work of God? To believe in the one whom God has sent. And so this morning as we respond to him, we love him because he first loved us. And so, mm, I'm going to lay that out there as we get ready to respond in this time of worship, in this time of, of meeting with the Lord. It's a time for you, the church, to respond between you and him. You know, unfortunately, this service, like most of the pastors are going to be up here helping to lead in worship. So we won't be available there down below. But that's okay. Because really, truly, the mediator that you need is Jesus himself. The man Christ Jesus. And so this morning, there's two things. One, one, if you're here and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, today is a day of salvation. Man, today I believe the Lord is just calling you back. He, by His Holy Spirit, is tugging on your heart and He's saying, come to the Son. Come into relationship with the Father. The Bible says, whoever calls the name of Jesus will be saved. Come. And so right where you're at in your chair, you can cry out to the Lord and the Lord will hear you. The second one is for you, the church. If you're in that place where you have less you have left your first love. You have allowed the world and the cares of the world to distract you from the greater thing. Then we've got to do what Jesus said. Repent and come back to your first love. After the time of worship and, and response, man, if you want me to pray with you, you want Greg to pray, we will be here. We'll be right up front after the service and we will wait for you and we would love to pray with you and for you. So now let's move into that time of response. Let's worship him.